0: Back to Unpack This Brain. My name is Eunice.
1: And I'm Josh.
0: And today we will be talking about anxiety.
1: Oh, what a. Oh, this is. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I only caught the last bit of that. But yes, this is a big mood, not just for the both of us, I would say. Um, and particularly around this time, you know, as we're recording, in terms of we are in month two. Well, three. Yeah, I what think it's... It? May. So it would be two and a half months already yeah. of, you know, Doing not anything. going out as often. Yeah, um, sort of lockdown. Yeah, lockdown. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Because yeah. we're still you know allowed to go out for essentials and whatnot. Yeah. But I can imagine this is a topic that would hit home for a lot of people yeah. more so now. It than would. They.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm, so... What we're going to do is we are going to unpack some papers that I found Mm -hmm. and some resources that people have sent me. Mm -hmm. But towards the end of this episode, we will be um, unpacking a few questions and i'm sure this will be fun yes this is gonna be interesting (laughs) and i as a as a heads up thank you to all of the people who have responded and given us questions um because this will provide great fuel i'm sure for Mm -hmm. us to unpack later so first things first is we're going to unpack this paper that i had a friend of mine um just spotlight for me it was a post actually on instagram um it was it how do how do i describe it how do i find it it was a post on instagram that was from like a me, mental health in brackets organization it's like a yeah it was like an article purporting that people can be cured in, mm. in quotation marks from anxiety
0: yeah yeah i saw the same one cuz i googled it and i found it you and found it's the article so first, like right? misleading yeah it was really yeah, and it was mis- i think
1: <laughs> well yeah this will be a critique not just on mm. the study that it, this Journalism article is based off of, but also a critique of mental health journalism. I think mm. um, there's a lot that needs to be said about how mental health studies are reported or just, you know, research in general, how it's reported. Yeah. But in this context, we will unpack this um, paper that is published by, um, what are the authors? Fuller, Thompson and Rickman, mm-hmm. 2019 or 2020, Um it is published, ooh, where is it? 12. Journal of Affective Disorders. Mm-hmm. So the title of the paper is Achieving Complete Mental Health Despite a History of Generalized Anxiety Disorders. Findings from a Large Nationally Representative Canadian Survey. So I found this, I downloaded the paper, I have my comments on it and I have sent that on to Eunice as well. Mm-hmm. So we're going to unpack this. Uh, how would you like to start?
0: Mm, do we want to look at maybe the sample first? So it says nationally representative Canadian sample. Yeah. Um, so that uh, for people who don't know what a sample is, it's just the people that have answered the survey and this is what, we, what the authors are basing the data and their findings on.
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. to be clear, this paper, although it was published in 2020, um was initially submitted to the Journal of Affective Disorders in, initially in 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. and then took a whole year for revisions and then was resubmitted and then it was accepted for publication. But more importantly, this, the data set that the authors have, are using and what they've described is actually a secondary analysis um, of a 2012 data set. Mm-hmm. So this 2012 Canadian Community Health Survey on Mental Health um, yeah. so I guess it is a long time ago if you think about it if they were doing this analysis in 2018 mm. and then you know publish it I'm um, sorry initially submitted it in 2018 2019 that would have been six or seven years old at that point yeah and then when you come to publish in 2020 the data sets pretty much
0: like eight years
1: old. eight years yeah. old and to me eight years old is a red flag in terms of relevancy yeah because and I actually tried to look for like newer versions of this survey mm-hmm. uh, I hadn't, I didn't have much luck so I'm assuming that this survey is done every 10 years mm. which to me brings up the question of how accurate can we rely on this data and how representative is it now in our context yeah. So that's sort of the biggest question that jumped to me before you were looking at results.
0: Yeah, because it was a while ago. Like, if mm. you think 2012 was when they thought that... Wasn't that when they thought the tsunami was going to come and kill At the end of the world? Something. Yeah. Like, that's 2012, how long ago
1: it was. 2012, <laughs> 2012 is the year of the end of the world. Yeah. Um, they made
0: a movie about it.
1: <laughs> there was a time. movie about it. Long time ago. There's, yeah. You know, eight years... An eight-year-old data set is 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 to me concerning because if i look at this and then use the analysis that was done in Mm. this paper try to apply it to you know client context Mm. is it even possible to do that Would
0: be probably possible, but just outdated. Like it's not. You don't you don't know if it's necessarily appropriate to. Mm, to. Yeah, mm, you could do it, but you just don't know if it's appropriate it. to do it for this time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, obviously, it is a Canadian survey, mm. um, so there are certain demographic stuff that is a little bit different culturally. There's some other things a little bit different there, particularly when we get into the. Um, Fest Nation, uh, Canadian Fest Nations mm-hmm. peoples, um, and the other racial demographics that are um, you know a, quite a big thing in North America in general. Yeah. Um, so again, it's about how do you translate that back to an Australian context? We can do it, but obviously you need to acknowledge there are some other differences yeah. um, when we talk about cultures and other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, we will go, I think what we should do is we should go straight to... The findings? Yeah, Yeah. let's do that. And I guess this is sort of my process. I'm not sure if this is the same for you, Eunice. Mm. This is my process because I was in science for the longest time before I jumped jumped ship to (laughs) uh, counselling, is that I was essentially taught how to break down this is that read the abstract go straight to your results and discussion and Mm. then cross-reference yeah
0: yeah 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 that's what i do well i went straight to discussion first Mm. because i guess that explains the results in a more like digestible way Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then like swing back to results if if you need to yeah um and then yeah i didn't uh, and then reading the sample i guess to kind of understand who they're
1: talking about yeah yeah um let me have a look here, because what the article says, in, or what the journal says in its discussion is that more than 70% of those with a history of generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. were in remission in the year preceding the 2012 survey. Yeah. So not only that, um, 60% were not only free of GAD in the past year, they also did not have suicidal thoughts, substance dependence major depressive disorders or bipolar disorder in the past year and 40% were in the state of, of complete mental health um, so that means basically asymptomatic symptom free yeah. Yeah. And generally they were quite happy and satisfied with life so that's one of those things I think um, yeah how, how would you interpret that if you just had that headline alone and I think that is what the headline was in the yeah. article
0: yeah. how would you read that so yeah, the article kind of was like, oh wow, anxiety can be cured because there's a lot of um, people that are- it's
1: like a 70% success rate, right? Yeah, that,
0: that haven't been showing any symptoms hmm. in the past year. And I don't know, it's interesting because I guess my thoughts on that are that, um, yeah, they might have not been showing symptoms in the past year, but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's gone forever, if mm, that mm, makes mm. sense, because it because anxiety, you know, the feel, the emotion or the feeling of anxiety um, doesn't necessarily go go away ever. Mm-hmm. And I know they're talking about general anxiety disorder, which mm-hmm. is something that is diagnosable. Yes, and I guess that some people, these people, are probably don't have the symptoms to to be diagnosable anymore. Mm-hmm. But it still kind of makes me think. Like, it's only in the past year. Like, what, what's going to happen after? It's yeah. just a snapshot. Yes. Yeah. And
1: I think that's also one of the <clears throat> big critiques that we have of this article. It does not compare to a previous data set. Mm. I, would have, I think I would have liked to have seen a comparison, not just a snapshot, because that way you can track. And I think we'll, when we get to the end of this section of the episode, I think we'll have a... You know, like yeah we have thoughts that's just in in general we have (laughs) thoughts about this article um i'm not sure if you gathered that already um so i'm just going through the other stuff here Mm -hmm. in terms of uh let's have a look oh okay
0: Um, stuff about i know i wrote down here um like what i thought was the protective factors so Mm -hmm. like what they found among the people who Uh, who had general anxiety disorder but now have higher complete mental health, they found that they had some common things. So, like, those common things were that they were women, married and older, those with a confidant, (laughs) those in – I don't know why I said that so fancy – those in good physical health and individuals who turned to religion or spirituality to cope. So I guess I took that as the protective factors from what they found. Mm, mm,
1: Yeah. mm. And to me, that just sounds like privilege, 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 Mm. (laughs) because, oh, it's even stated in the beginning, I think.
0: Yeah. Is it in the sample where it kind of says they're mostly...
1: No, it's in the, it's in the abstract. Or is it in the results? Um, I think it was the results. Where did I... No. Mm. Where are you? It's in the discussion. I think it's in the second half. Where did I see that? Um, oh my goodness. Where are
0: you? There's a lot highlighted. This is there's a lot highlighted. <laughs> this is why... <laughs> this is why we yes. have to kind of go through a lot of it because yeah. again, a lot of thoughts. <laughs> okay, here high. we go.
1: It is, it is in sort of the results section. Oh, yeah. Um, those in complete mental health were also more likely than those in less optimal mental health to be white, older, to have a post-secondary degree, to have a high income, to be married or living in common law compared to single, widowed or divorced, to have never smoked... To report good to excellent health, to use religious coping to face everyday difficulties, to be physically active, and to have a confidant. It just, to me, screams privilege.
0: Yeah. Like it's the people that manage to get... Oh, you know... Mental
1: health yeah, like it's, the this, it's, it's the people who so happen to be very privileged, but also who are systematically the ones who have an upper hand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It is a commentary on society in many ways. And it's disappointing that it has to be said that the article has to point this out. Um, And I actually put a comment here about will we acknowledge privilege in this discussion? And towards the end, you can kind of see them acknowledge it, but it's not fully acknowledged either. Mm. It's disappointing because are you trying to say that With that statement alone, therefore, um, First Nations people are systematically... Well, they are systematically disadvantaged, but they will never reach complete mental health, Mm. right? Or is someone from a low income never going to reach complete mental health? Mm. Is someone who is single for their whole life never going to be in complete mental health? It's these questions, I think, that... (laughs) That really got me worked up about this paper because it's very hard to, you know, this is why we critique them.
0: Yeah, so I guess reach that point. I guess there is some in that list that could be reachable, like the um, good physical health and those with a confident, Mm. I'm not saying that wrong, confident, like someone you can talk to essentially. Um, So I guess... Like I pointed out in my notes, that it was good to know that because that is something that can be used in terms of like um, therapy, essentially, like um, techniques Uh, to help.
1: When we when we ask clients, oh, who who would you say are your support networks? Yes, yeah, Mm.
0: and then the whole like the and with the physical health kind of making it more holistic. Yeah. In that, yeah, we're looking at mental health, but also how is your physical health? Yes. And exploring that as well.
1: Oh, there's another part of this discussion that also got me really <laughs> annoyed. Um, I'll quote here physical health related factors and disability. Also attenuated Mm. the relationship between lifetime anxiety and complete mental health. Mm. Perhaps in part because anxiety disorders can make it difficult to carry out daily household tasks due to impairment from physical and emotional problems. And there's a citation there. Um, As such, those without disability may experience fewer barriers to engaging fully in life. To me... That screams. Well, no shit.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like I feel like they found the re- the results oh. and they were like, "We have to describe it in a, in a way oh. that's understandable." It sounds so, so, so ableist obvious. too. Yeah, it's like oh. they pointed out what I guess is kind of already known.
1: It is the dominant narrative, yeah, essentially. Yeah, and and from that, right, one could easily interpret that same as, "Oh, disabled people will never be in complete mental health." Mm which is to me a horrendous way of framing it
0: yeah that's a good point i guess if it's like you think um if you put on the lens of someone like you said that might be like single or that's not you know it has a disability Mm. and then they read this it's kind of it, it doesn't seem very hopeful does it
1: no it it yeah and i just get more and more frustrated by the you know, this is why I have so much, so it's many things highlighted. highlighted guys. Um, the, yeah. Well, my paper is so yeah. so highlighted. Um, yeah. You know, they they try and explain, um, in their framework why this is sort of a how it correlates to previously published studies about mental health mm-hmm. and that as well and towards the end they also acknowledge that um we'll probably need to focus in on interventions that can increase positive mental health yeah um but doesn't really seek to and i guess that's also not the scope of this paper i'm just curious is why why is there no um comment on uh the systematic Barriers to achieving mental health, or Mm. what are the things that, as a profession, psychology, counseling, therapy overall um, should be doing to allow people to access services, therefore you know, being on their way to achieving mental health. That's mm. sort of another question that I have.
0: Yeah, I think it would be good to springboard off of this, like do mm. do a, um, a study on what they found here. Yeah. Something a bit more updated um, because it does leave a lot of those questions open. Like I really agree with you, the whole why didn't they speak about the systematicness of it all and how that, you know, how the system affects uh, what we found here. And, it, yeah, I don't know. I think that it – Towards the end, they left a lot open and they were kind of like, okay, think this that's is what also we can a look good at. thing,
1: right? That's, yeah. that's a good thing. It's like it leaves you questions, therefore, so. future research can be done.
0: That's how it that's we, the, the cycle thing. goes, that's the, the research cycle. That's how research
1: cycles work. Yeah. Um, but also, let's go back to the data. Uh, I think, let me have a look here if they actually said something. So they said that the sample, the full sample, had about 21,000 respondents, which is quite large. That's that's a lot, When we're thinking Ns, um, the size of your N, 21,000 is pretty substantial. Yeah. Um, What they then did was they stratified that to people who, they made two subsets. One who had a history of generalized anxiety disorder, GAD, which had an N value of 2,128. And then the remaining, I think they sifted out some stuff the remaining Ns were the other subset. Um, actually, no, I'm reading this incorrectly. Um, they took, they found out that I think about ten percent were who had a history of GAD. Mm. From that uh, complete twenty one thousand data set, they split them into respondents who said they were or who met the criteria for complete mental health according yeah. to uh, previous literature. And then a smaller subset so they break them down into 15,000 and 5,000 or 6,000 hmm. um, you know complete mental health versus not complete mental health and then they did um, basic chi-square what was it
0: well, I didn't even look at how they found the results like
1: their stats um, they did they did chi-square comparative data things I think I do not see it right now um, but basically they did um compare um respondents like there's a whole list of things um we'll probably put the paper up Mm. somewhere for you to access um but then they went and you know were like okay let's compare those who are happen to be male and let's give an example who are not in complete mental health versus complete mental health Mm. what are the you know what are the ratios there um
0: Interesting. It's a, it is
1: interesting. I quite I've,
0: a 50-50 split.
1: It is a very even split. males and
0: females. Mm. So like 50% mm. were like not complete in mental health and yeah. 50% were complete.
1: Mm. Yeah, in just the demographics alone. But then when you get down to things like socioeconomic status, um, those who had experience in their childhood of TV or abuse, um, there's also other health behaviours. They try and compare them between the groups. Mm. So um, yeah, okay, there's the p-value. The p-value is derived from the chi-square test. Um, So some of this data has p-values attached to them and for those of you who who may not be familiar with how p-values work, p-value is just a marker of significance or how how reliably you can say the data is what it is. Mm. Um, So there's essentially no overlap between the two data sets that you're comparing. Um, And really the aim of the game is to get a p-value of less than 0.001. Yeah, I think it's... isn't it
0: 0.05? It's for
1: like 95 the min- yeah 99.5 like, confidence
0: yeah that's like the minimum you can, that's the you minimum should get. And but then yeah
1: it gets lower it gets lower it's more
0: different yes. the lower it gets yeah. yeah
1: but everyone in research these days tries to achieve no less than 0.001 oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um there there is commentary on that but i won't go into it uh but when you look at this data set, it's really hard to see. And th- these are just tables. There's no figures. Yeah, I
0: don't know. It's like very that. hard to
1: visualize. <laughs> I want
0: visuals. <laughs> I-,
1: I need I mean by all means have the table, but I need visuals as well. Because when you put in an arbitrary p-value of less than 0.01 against a table data set, which data group are, what which group am I looking at, first yeah. of all? Mm. And is it actually significant? I can I can kind of see where some stuff is, okay, you can definitely tell the p-value is what it is. Yeah. But there's some other stuff here that's like, I don't know. I can't, it's not certain enough. I'm not confident enough to say that, yeah. What else did you find interesting? Or what, what other questions do you have about the article?
0: A lot of my, my notes were mostly just noting down what was said in the article and not necessarily mm. comments. Mm. I guess... The biggest thing that stood out for me was just um, in the discussion section how it explains the, like I said, the protective factors, but also the things that are negatively associated with complete Mm. mental health, which to me I kind of looked at in an applicable way of being like the risk factors of having low complete mental health. And, yeah, it just reminded me, I guess, of – um, this speaker Nathan Wallace that always talks about risk factors and protective factors uh-huh. and I guess this is where it's less doom and gloom because like even if you're born into a family that that um, gives you a lot of risk factors that mm-hmm. the protective factors always can always I guess boost you forward Yep. So if you think about it, like physically risk factors is is where you're stepping back in life mm, and mm, protective mm. factors, you're stepping forward, like it's helping you. Yeah, I guess that I was just like, it's good to see that there are protective factors of yeah. complete mental health. And then there's also the um, risk factors. Yeah, But I guess the issue is here, the one that you raise, the protective factors, a lot of them come with privilege yeah. and it's not like... You know, an average person could get all of those protective
1: factors. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Your, yeah, that observation about you know, your risk and protective factors. and Essentially, it's about the person's own initiative to seek out or use the protective factors that they have to their advantage. Mm. That's one of those things, I think, that... um benefits us as mental health professionals is that we can help people identify what or who those protective factors are.
0: Yeah. Or then um, refer them on to Mm. others that can be a protective factor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's actually one question that um, has just come up in my mind is that I'm curious to know why this survey, even though it was done in 2012, did not stratify sexuality and gender diversity. Mm. Because I would, I would, it's, it's going to be an obvious answer that the dominant protective factor will be heterosexual relationship. Yeah. You identify as cisgender or the gender that you were born with um, and are in, you know, generally attracted to the opposite sex.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that they should have definitely added that in because then it comes with anxieties, you know. um, Oh, yes. Yeah, if you're, you know, it comes with anxieties if you're not, hetero, essentially, mm. because of the society that we live in yeah. and that we're still mostly heteronormative society, yes. it comes with anxieties if you're not, and that would really play into the mental health yeah. side of things.
1: So, yeah, I was, I'm just curious to know if they were going to do a future update to this survey, if they yeah. were going to add gender and sexual diversity to it. Yeah, I and would- I wonder if that would change if they if you do an analysis again. I wonder what that would change in the findings of this uh, this one. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I wonder, because you were saying I want, you wonder if it's a, it's a 10-year survey thing. Yeah. And that might mean that they'll have an updated one.
1: I would hope so. Yeah. It'd uh, be
0: good to do a comparison mm, in mm, one mm. of the more recent times. They, they
1: do admit that further research... That uses longitudinal data. Is needed. Oh, yeah. So, okay, cool. That's they one did, good thing.
0: They did acknowledge <laughs> that. Yeah, their last section is really good. Like yeah. all the things that could be done yeah. in the future. It's good.
1: Yeah. Um, the other thing that we need to point out is that the survey is voluntary. So it's an opt-in system. Mm. Um, you can't opt out i mean you can opt out if you don't want to do it anymore but the data that's available because it's a voluntary nature a lot of the respondents i think would be people who are more likely to have had complete mental health
0: yeah yeah because you're more likely to want to i guess share that i guess Mm. if you don't have complete mental health you might not you're less set to do this like you're busy with other things i don't know and i think this this one is
1: mm, but also, I think this one is also administered by the healthcare professionals as well.
0: Yeah, actually, I want that's the question I wanted to ask. Do we know how it was administered? If it was like mail, email, or did they hand um, it out?
1: Okay, at let me have a look. The thing is that they don't give you enough context. Um,
0: oh, are you looking for the actual survey?
1: Yeah, I'm looking for where they. Um, let me see. population. Okay, here is the methodology for the survey itself. So, um, it covers population 15 years of age and over living in the 10 Canadian provinces. Um, Excluded from the survey's coverage are persons living on reserves and other Aboriginal settlements, full-time members of the Canadian Armed Forces and the institutionalised population. So, what they say is... um, the popula- uh, exclusions represent about 3% of the target population. Okay. Okay? Um, so it's supposed to...
0: Wait. Sample design. It says first geographical areas called clusters were selected and then uh-huh. they selected households within the cluster and then they w- would have one respondent per household that was randomly selected. Oh. That's how they chose who to give it to.
1: That's interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Huh, huh. Oh, and it's for the whole year. Okay, of two thousand twelve. Ah. Hmm. This is a very interesting way to collect data because it's very much like census.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what it is, right? It's kind of like a census because it was all of. Canada, you know, mm. minus the three percent, and then they would pick one person per each household, Yeah. and then it was voluntary on top of that.
1: Yeah, and then the mm. voluntary um, the thing was is that they only got a response rate of sixty eight point nine, mm. so still good. I mean, it's it's two thirds majority minimum, yeah, um, which is you know it, it's to be expected. I think for at a at a national level, yeah that you would not expect um, at least a third of respondents to mm. hand back their survey, or you wouldn't get anything from them. What other important observations? Okay, so if we go back to the paper, mm. it says that they excluded people under the age of 20, which explains why there were 21,000 respondents. Oh. So their end value in this paper is less than the 25,000
0: yeah, because they said they gave it to people over fifteen, but mm. then when they got the set, when they got the data, they excluded. Yeah, the when data they did, did the analysis, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, I I think that's a logical statement. I think they wanted people over the age of twenty. Yeah. Um, and also there's like questions about responses and the bias that people might put into them. Mm. I think there's like a positive bias or a negative bias depending on who is doing this this survey they might they might frame it they might frame their current situation in a way that is overtly positive yeah better or worse which might not reflect the accuracy yeah that's like when you situation.
0: do a, a self observation cuz that's what essentially it is right yeah. it's like a self observation or
1: or if you, if you're in negative frame of mind, you can say that it's a lot worse.
0: Yeah, than what it really is. Mm. Yeah, and then yeah, because I guess with observation comes the bias, like you were saying. Yes. And that's what this is based on. This is based mm. on self observations, which has bias in it.
1: Yeah, self-reporting does have its upside in that you don't have to hire. P- yeah, it's cheaper. <laughs> For one thing, yeah. but also then it comes, it's negatives is where you either get positive bias or negative bias, mm. depending on who the respondent is and what their frame of mind is. Mm. It's one of those things I think people need to acknowledge in terms of data as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, do you have any more comments or observations from that paper that you wanted to think? Before we, no, before we I, think I guess... So. Okay.
0: I'm quite ex- excited to keep it going. Oh, yeah. There's still other things. There's
1: still other things, but I... <laughs> But I think what it means is that in general, when, when you see on Instagram, because we saw this initially on Instagram, or on Facebook, or in media as well, when it comes to science reporting, mm. is take it with a grain of salt. Mm. Or go find the paper. Yeah,
0: go find if you the paper, can, if it's open if can. access. Yeah, which this one was.
1: I think yeah,
0: because I found it. Like you sent it to me, but mm-hmm. I did find it on my own, and I don't have access to journals anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Um. So yeah, luckily this one was open access at the time we were recording. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things. Is that if you are genuinely curious about what an art a journal article has found, and it and the way that you found out about this was in a news article, mm. I, it would be, you know, it's good practice to have a look at the actual data yeah. to make sense of it. Yeah. Um, because you get editors, news, you know, journalists trying to fit the data and the results and the reporting into a certain frame of mind that can be overtly optimistic mm. or overtly pessimistic. Um, this one was weirded, worded in a way that it sounded like there was a cure for anxiety, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I vehemently disagree with. Um, because, and I will touch on this, like, can you ever get rid of anxiety? Mm. That's one of the questions we'll probably touch on later. Um, but yeah, if you are interested, the article, uh, hopefully, will still be open to access. Um, and we'll drop those deets in our episode show notes today Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so we'll move on because i we actually have another we have another piece of um Um, mental health resources in terms of there's lots of resources going around i had a friend send me this um well-being guide um that is geared towards um i believe yeah it's, it's a certain faculty um in an australian university but it's about mental health and well-being and maintaining mental health, like, you know, good quality mental health. Yeah. Um, so aside from the um, formatting, which really got Probably to me in the Josh first instance, like <laughs> I have thought initially I have big thoughts about how you format resources and this is not a way to format it. Thank goodness uh, I'm not ripping into it as a de- from a design point of view. Um, yep. We'll critique it from a mental health point of view. And, um, ah, yeah, Eunice, yeah. what did you think about this? Yeah,
0: well, overall, I really liked it. Uh-huh. So it starts by talking about um, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, and that mm. really spoke to me because we do like to use growth mindset at work. Mm. Um, and essentially what a growth mindset is is, is that you, you go into something with – the mindset that some, that it's going to be different and that you're able to change through it mm-hmm. and that what you are thinking, what you're experiencing isn't always going to be like that. So mm-hmm. I guess it's um, like going into something, understanding that you give it your best and that stuff is very fluid, like it's not just going to be stuck in one thing, mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I guess examples on the little... Um, what do you call it infographic Um, is that a growth mindset embraces challenges learns from feedback and criticism keeps trying and never gives up and is uh, persistent in the face of setbacks Mm -hmm. versus a fixed mindset which is avoids challenges ignores criticism less effort so a fixed mindset is more like I'm like this, and I'm not going to change. Unchangeable, unchangeable. Yeah. like whatever you say, I'm not going to take it on board yeah. because like, this is how I am. Mm-hmm. And I guess it can be used really negatively because if you're stuck in a place where you don't feel happy about your situation yeah. and how you handle things, if you have that fixed mindset, it can feel really dooming.
1: Mm-hmm. Like you're just
0: going to be like that forever. Mm-hmm. But with, if you foster a growth mindset, it's like this is only me now, but I can be different tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Hmm. What other thoughts do you have about the resources or the things that they've mentioned in this guide?
0: Um, they use a lot of memes, <laughs> which I personally okay. Be to, like. be
1: fa- <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I'm I'm a person that loves gifts and using gifts as well. So it's it's about relatability um, a lot yeah. of the time, and you in this. There's a lot of like relatability sort of things. Yeah, I guess my sort of concern with this is to me it reads so much like a a it reads like a piece that is throwing shade at people who are in a particular frame of mind at this point in time. Mm-hmm. I like a stress point. It's stress. Yeah, it's like, "Oh, why are you stressed? You should be in this growth mindset right. right now." To me, or you know, like, "Oh, why 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 are you stressed? You should just do X, Y, Z. Mm. To me, if you're, if you're going to publish this and you're going to share it, I feel like there needs to be a lot of, you know, pragmatic realism. Mm. (laughs) Um, You want to obviously make it in a way that is, you know, these are the resources that you have. Yeah. But I feel like you need to really acknowledge what is going on is a genuine feeling. Yeah. And, you know give them those steps slow small steps to then therefore make those bigger changes Mm.
0: yeah that's interesting because I actually got the feeling that they were in like the first few sentences of each um, topic actually Mm. Mm. um, acknowledging it like for example there's one about being a first year student yeah and I guess they do acknowledge that, that it is stressful and that you know, oh what were they talking? they were talking about certain exams in this particular field yeah, yeah. and how that can be really difficult and stressful. Uh, so they I think they do oh
1: yeah. Do yeah, yeah. That, yeah.
0: Um in some parts of it. Mm. They do acknowledge it. That's interesting. That practical tips. Yeah. That's f- quite pragmatic in a way.
1: That is quite pragmatic. But I think it it's worded and because I'm 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 a person that is mindful of language mm. to me, it's worded in a way that is a little bit assertive mm. <laughs> um it it's you know if you're thing do this, yes, okay, it is very forward, but I feel like it could be done in a more invitational way,
0: oh okay, yeah. <laughs> And like more I think it's just like, my
1: strong it's it's my it's my big counseling brain that yeah. is just going please make this invitational
0: yeah um, yeah and it is hard like I guess I've experienced this a lot like doing content for Instagram is that yes. when you want to give like maybe tips for people, but mm. it's not, but it's not individualized as the yes, thing. It's like it's very general. Yes. So it's like, how do I word this where it doesn't sound, yeah, like assert. It like, doesn't sound
1: prescriptive. Uh,
0: prescriptive. That's the right word. But like that it's still helpful yes. before, a gen- before a generalized population. Yeah. So it is really difficult um, if you're writing to a Great audience. audience. Yeah. yeah.
1: It is it is it is an art, I will say. Yeah, it
0: really is. It's a lot of thinking.
1: <laughs> it, is, it, is, it takes a lot. And yeah. I think from a social constructionist point of view, when you're trying to deliver general content, there is there is a point where you reach it, and it's like does this even make sense,
0: mm. right? Yeah.
1: I think from a social constructionist point of view, when you're trying to deliver You end up asking more questions. Yeah, I was
0: about to say because we
1: are from this non-expert view. Yeah, Um, you tend to ask more questions, which then might be interpreted as, "Does this person even know what is going on in (laughs) my life?" Asking a lot of reflective questions. (laughs) (laughs) It is one of those things I've I've noticed at particularly now is that, and when I'm doing you know because I hold the socials for for our this podcast is that how do I word it in a way that is true to how my view of social constructionism is, mm. but also acknowledge that the platforms that we're using to distribute this yeah. information um, are money-making, generally speaking, yeah. um, and are focused in a way that is, you're supposed to drive engagement, drive engagement, yeah, yeah. drive connection. Like, and like, And me having... Being in both, you know, having experience in now both sides of this, it's like how do I integrate both of these now in a way that is true to my practice? Yeah. But also to, you know, try and get attention, focus from people that engage with us.
0: Yeah, and that is hard. Because like you said, it's like you're trying to make connection, but
1: yeah.
0: then we, you, you don't necessarily know the people you're trying to make the connection mm. with on, mm. on, you know, like a level that you would if you saw them um, in therapy, you know what yes. I mean? So, yeah, it's very interesting. So I think that might be where a lot of the things in this resource guide, yeah, it feels very prescriptive because they're trying to talk to a bigger audience. Yes. And I, mean, I guess they're also not writing it from a social construct. No,
1: and now, I so. mean like to be fair, this <laughs> is this fair. is written from people within that course. Yeah, it's not. So it, it makes sense <laughs> that we we can be frustrated yeah. at when it's written like this. Yeah. Um so but we can also acknowledge maybe this works for this particular group of people. Yeah. So try not to shade it too much, but yeah. also there is oh, a okay. there's a refined way of doing things, I think. that is able to you know hold true to being invitational Mm. but also trying to be like this is what works Mm. or this is what we have uh, you know what has worked in the past for some people yeah um, what evidence-based stuff has come out Mm. oh also citations i cannot look at this without like I feel like I'm too much in my academic frame as well. It's like, where are your citations? Do they, I was
0: say, do they have citations? I don't they think don't, they
1: do. which is curious to me.
0: So I wonder where they got the information from. Yeah.
1: For me, if you're going to write a resource as well, you'd want to... Oh, yeah. The, the yeah formatting. <laughs> Sorry. I'm getting more and more annoyed again at formatting. Um, it, is, it is one of those things like, okay... I'm going to write this piece about mental health, right? Mm. Surely, you'd wa- surely I would consider showing people where I got this information from.
0: Yeah, definitely. That because is one of those
1: ethical thing. things, I think, as well, is that as, as a communicator, you know, that surely you would want to be open and transparent about where you got this from. Therefore, yeah. people can then go and find those resources as well
0: yeah unless it really is just from like
1: it's a homebrew sort of thing
0: yeah that's a good way of putting it homebrew but like yeah it's just based on experience essentially yeah it's potentially what it is maybe a bunch of people's experience not just one hopefully not just one person
1: i I would hope (laughs) multiple perspectives played a role in this definitely um but Okay. Yeah, I'm also looking at... I'm mindful also of the resources that they've put here. Obviously, yes. you know, aside from uni stuff, they've put in certain crisis support services. So they've put in Lifeline Australia. They've put in Beyond Blue. Uh, they've put in Headspace. So those are the three that they've only put in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious to know why this particular resources have only highlighted those three. I understand, though that these three, generally speaking, are the big three crisis support services we have here in Australia. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also, you think about stuff like 1-800, 1-800-RESPECT, mm-hmm. the national DV line. Yeah. Um, I What also comes to mind for me is QLife Australia, which is the LGBTQ plus crisis support service that is running. Yeah. It's available. Um, uh, I think it's changed now in terms of like... Covid nineteen like mm. support hours, but generally speaking, they they were available three pm to midnight local time, mm. so across Australia.
0: I wonder if it's because I'm just having, having a thought that these mm. are
1: the general
0: ones because I, think I guess so. Q Life and why not one, 1 three hundred. I
1: think it's one eight hundred. One
0: eight hundred respect yeah. are slightly a bit more specialized. Mm. So I wonder though if you called up to one of these three,
1: yeah, and then would you they refer some, on?
0: Yeah, would they be able to I would refer be, on? I'm sh- Maybe know, we'll un- maybe we'll unpack
1: maybe we'll unpack the crisis support services in a different episode sure be good. Um, yeah. mm, um but i would particularly i think i'm particularly mindful of those additional two mm. you know because rates of d v um it it's kind of supported in literature that natural disasters usually um in the aftermath of an event, significant life-changing event, Mm. you tend to see more cases of domestic violence and abuse pop up. Yeah. Right? And I think that's what we've seen already in some of the news reports um, come out that post um, when we've entered um, restrictions and lockdowns and whatnot, if you're in a toxic relationship, there's more and more chances of you actually... Hitting a crisis point. Yeah. And that's, like, yeah. It's
0: already, you know, it's already stressful to be in a mm. lockdown situation, but then we have to stay in our houses. So, yes. That just kind of increases the chance of DV happening. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But also for queer people who are isolated from one another, um, who utilize, you know, face to face interactions as a way of connecting with their family, their yeah. chosen family. Um, yeah, I'm just curious to know why the those two in particular, like Q Life and One Respect, were left out. Mm. And I wonder if maybe I think from what i heard from a friend, my friend who sent this, is that it was um, removed and then it will probably be edited again oh, and be uh, released in the future. Yes, resource this resource was. Was published then it was taken down so i think it's not just the formatting i think (laughs) there was some other critiques about the content as well and how it was framed so maybe we'll get hopefully i would hope that there is a revision though because generally speaking it is a good resource but i still have you know it can be better it can be offered in a way that is yeah
0: yeah does it tell you actually up the top top who wrote it oh yeah it does have it a the, yeah, oh, con- okay, yeah.
1: contribution so there's oh, quite okay. a few people
0: yeah there's quite a few and they're all within like the mental health field no or like these are
1: some of them are well-being some of them social justice and these are like student club related people oh, so
0: okay
1: yeah I'm just like mm, citations please please give me your like <laughs> citations me
0: 2020
1: come on <laughs> goodness mm. did so, you have any
0: more um, comments
1: on this I guess okay this is I think this is a general question we can put to listeners who may be professionals in psych and counselling is how would you go about um, talking or having a conversation online about things in mental health mm. right now and how would you do that absent of doing Insta lives or Facebook lives on live streams. How do you communicate? Things like that. Because there are a lot of other accounts um, Instagram um, that are doing, you know, these very reassuring posts. Um, there are some that I have seen in the past on friends who have reposted them on the stories and whatnot. Is that okay, these are these are interesting. These aren't done by counselors. Oh, or okay. therapists in general. These are done by illustrators
0: oh, okay. and
1: those sorts of things, right? Yeah,
0: like creatives. Mm,
1: by by our lovely family over in the creative world yes. right now. Shout out. <laughs> Big, <laughs> shout, out, Big shout out, please. Um, yeah, I'm just curious. How, as um, communicators in our industry, because we effectively are. Yes, You know, we, when, when, I, when I mean communicators, um, I'm coming from a... Um, sort of science perspective. When I when I talk about communicators, it means that you are engaging with people who are not at the same level as you in terms of your knowledge of this particular area. Mm-hmm. You're communicating in a way that is digestible for them. Mm. Um, you know, by changing language, using other resources, mm. and making those sorts of things. Yeah. Is that how do we as mental health professionals adapt our language and our resources to make it? digestible for general public right now yeah
0: that is a good question because i guess when you sit down with a client you kind of get to know them and you know what language you, build you can rapport, use yeah because you use their language essentially yes. when you have a client but then if we're talking like mass media it's like you don't know what the people's languages are um, that you're writing to yeah and so it's like yeah, it is a very, there's so many decisions you have to take into consideration. Yeah. And yeah, I guess for me, it's like stay like you said before, the staying true to your own values yeah. as, as a practitioner and then putting that in the work that you communicate online, mm-hmm. um, because at least then you're staying true to yourself. Yeah, and
1: that's It's that authenticity as well. Yeah, y- You know, it's like, I think, I think general public are very adept at figuring out who is the most authentic, I would hope.
0: Mm. I have a hope
1: that the general public are able to decipher who is be- being very authentic and who has a different motivation. Yeah. Um and I think that is something that is very important to identify is for those of us who are in this field of mental health and well-being, is that we have to have we have to have an intention of obviously um normalizing stuff that's going on right now. Mm. But then also applying our own therapeutic lens to it you know and and that's tricky when you're writing when you are distributing that to a platform where you don't know who's going to listen Mm. and what language level or understanding they have of the subject yeah Yeah. whether or not they've had previous experience or previous exposure to mental health professionals or not it's one of those things is like hmm It is tricky, but if I think if you do, like you said, if you stay authentic to yourself and hold on to the values that you practice Mm. generally, I think people will be able to gain that understanding. Mm. Is that yeah? Maybe there's another episode in there we can unpack in terms of um, motivation because there's a lot. There's a lot we can think and. This is why this podcast was created. Yeah. You can unpack many things from our mindset. (laughs) Yes. So, is there anything else before we sort of wrap up this half of the episode?
0: No, I think we're good. Okay. Okay. Hi, Eunice here. So we've decided to actually split our anxiety episode into two parts. So the first part was us talking about um, the journal article and a resource around anxiety. And we're ending that now. And then we're going to be starting part two soon.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Unpack This Brain. If you'd like to follow us, we are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search Unpack This Brain. If you'd like to send us any questions, feel free to do so. Use the hashtag unpackthisbrain or send us a DM or send us an email, unpackthisbrain at gmail.com. This podcast was created by the lovely people of RedCreatmaids Podcast. Feel free to subscribe to any of our podcasts wherever you're listening. We'd also like to acknowledge the First Nations owners on whose lands we are creating this podcast.